0: Welcome to the Business Influencer podcast uh, where we'll be interviewing and exploring the success stories of entrepreneurs, business leaders, senior policymakers, and getting insights from thought leaders around the issues of the day. We'll be delving into and analysing the latest news around topics such as tech, geopolitics, finance, leadership, economics, entrepreneurship, global business, property law, philanthropy and of course life. Uh, This podcast is available on all platforms. But for those of you who prefer to watch, we have the Natural Media YouTube channel, so please subscribe and you can pop over and watch all the interviews. Uh, you can also follow the show's updates on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. My name is Nidhi Johal. I'm the co-founder of The Natural Group, the Signature Awards, and the co-publisher of the Business Influencer Magazine, where I will be your host for the show. In this episode, we speak to Louise Booksmith smith OBE, who is an internationally renowned strategic planning advisor and happens to be a judge at the Signature Awards and is a great contributor and gives us some great insights in the Business Influencer magazine. And we'll be discussing the changing role of the high street, its future, the role of local, regional and national government with regards to planning and, of course, how digital is changing the nature of the high street and the cities as we know them. Let's pop over have a listen to the podcast. Good afternoon, Louise. Hello,
1: Linda, how are you?
0: Gee, it's a glorious day. It is a lovely day. <laughs> in fact, I think this is the first podcast I'm doing where I've opened the window and let the air in.
1: Well, I've got building work outside, so I have sadly had to shut the window or it's going to get too noisy. So... Yeah. Um, that's that is, okay. uh,
0: yeah that's a concern of mine because i'm expecting a delivery from amazon and we'll chat about amazon and digital in a few minutes um so i, I do one day I'm, I'm gonna anyway listen that's that's a, an issue for another day. So, well look louise thank you very much um uh, you've uh, i've known you for a while because you've been um, uh, you've been on uh, what well, you've been a judging on, on uh, part of the judging panel for the signature awards but for <laughs> those of you who don't you know you let me let me explain who Louise is, so um, your career has been in property. Uh, You you were the first, and we'll chat about diversity, the first female woman to become the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors, (laughs) Global President in 2014-15. You've had some really major positions in in, in property, including ACADOS. Uh, you're, a, you're a non-exec, and you have run your own business as well, so you know all about running your own business. Uh, you're a non-exec director at Polypipe Group, Land Trust, Greater Birmingham LEP, the L&Q Group, the Trustee of Birmingham Museum Trust, Birmingham City University, you're a CBI board member, and there's lots of other things, but we just don't have the time to tell. But <laughs> what I do know is you've got so many doctorates as well, and I'm going to mention one particular one. Which is Wolverhampton University because I'm a yeah. board governor, so I'm a bit biased there. You but I do know, I do know you're a um, governor at Birmingham City University, another great university uh, in the region. And and I'm going to be honest with you, you've had so many awards where we, we could spend the next forty minutes chatting about. It. So if you forgive yeah. me, <laughs> I, I'll, ask, I'll ask people to go to your LinkedIn and <laughs> they can read all about your awards. But listen, it's a great honour uh, and a great pleasure to have you. And uh, and I think. I think this is probably the right time to chat to you uh, because we've now got a roadmap that eases lockdown. We now need to understand um, how the property market's going. Now, people might say, well, why do we need to know about the property market? Well, actually, the property market's is quite a good proxy for the UK economy. Uh, nice. we're, we're, we all need to live somewhere. We all need to go to work somewhere. So property is sort of part of the community's DNA. So it's important we understand that. But I think it's probably more important we understand what the property market looks like going forward because of COVID. Uh, and So so that's why I think it's pretty opportune, particularly with the roadmap, that we have a chat with you. And of course, you've written a great article around digital in the latest issue of the Business Influencer. So for for those of you who haven't read it, go to the website or DM me and you can read the wonderful words of Louise. So let's kick straight in. Louise, just, uh, just for me to get a a grip around this because diversity is such a big, big issue at the moment and and I've I've already explained the sort of senior positions you've had. So I suppose what, what what, this is important because we need to know where the future of property and, and, and so forth is. What took you into construction, planning, development and how did you find the climate? Because I wouldn't have thought at that point there were many women There
1: were very few women in it and I'm going to give you a very brief overview and just to show you how far we've travelled and how far communities travelled. I got into the the land property construction world uh, because I'm really a failed engineer. I wanted to do engineering when I set out on my career and um, I got really, really uh, not very good A-levels and so I had to give up my career, my aspirations to be a, a mining engineer. And I had to use what I had, um, which is now uh, back in the uh, (laughs) very, very, very early 80s. Um, And I thought, what do I like? I really liked... Um, uh, applied geography human geography people geography not all the not not the green geography the the human geography and, and economics so i ended up using my air levels and i went to um, uh, sheffield poly that was and i got on a course called urban land economics which is basically applied geography and it was all to do with the built environment property land development And through that, I was introduced to the RICS, Royal Institution of Charter Surveyors, and it opened the doors into my career into property development land, and particularly planning and development, which is what I specialised in as I um, finished my course at Sheffield. So that basically was how I got into it. It's it's sort of... um, and to be honest, an awful lot of people in property come into it either because they've got parents who work in the in the same sector or because they didn't go down their, their, their chosen choice, you know, back when they were doing their A-levels and, uh, and, and uh, making those decisions and ended up in property by default. That's no bad thing because the people who stay in the property and development world are people who really want to be there. They want to make a difference. And I've been really lucky in the breaks I've had. After Sheffield Poly, I um, had a variety of different jobs, but it took me abroad. And I ended up working um, in Africa and Asia. And through that, I, uh, became, I, I got a very nice um, a role working for the United Nations. So um, lots of opportunities came my way. I specialised in planning and development. Um, I had a fantastic time in East Africa with the UN. It was with um, Habitat, which is the human settlement um, department, if you like, a massive department. And through that, I, I sort of saw a bit more of the world. Um, I did like that. I'm a bit of a um, cartophile, so I love maps. So anything to do with travelling, anything to do with geography, I love. So um, cut a very long story short, I came back. Um, from abroad and uh, started working for Bryant's here as a, in, in, in the development world. I'd done some stints with Birmingham City Council and Coventry City Council and I got to a point where I thought you know what I'd really like to run it myself and I set up my own consultancy uh, and that was uh, in the 1990s uh, and basically grew that company and uh, ended up growing it to a point where I sold it, um, eventually sold it to Arcadis, which is when I became a partner at Arcadis um, stepped down from the partnership at Arcadis two years ago now to take up a whole range of non-exec roles, all linked to the built environment, all linked to um, social value, planning, strategic development, And all the way through that journey, there has been a really strong feel for um, EDI, equality, diversity and inclusion. So I think you were were getting at the fact that I'm really quite long in the tooth. And that when I started in this career, um, there weren't many women in in this profession. And I know, you know, I'm not trying to make up the rules. You know, there were 2% of the construction property development world were women. It is much better today. It has come on so far. It's not perfect, uh, but neither is the legal uh, um, uh, uh, career, neither is accountancy. You're always going to have, you know, there's a catch up. The fact with the construction industry is that the catch up has been quick. There are more and more women, uh, more and more from the BAME community. It is becoming a far more diverse sector. And I'm really proud of being part of that journey. Um, I mentioned the RICS earlier, um, and I did. Yeah, I, I was very, very proud, and was the right person at the right time in the right place. And I took the global uh, presidency now five, six years ago. So it's going back a little bit. But one of my uh, platforms, um, I had two platforms that I was uh, that I, I I took that role on. One was looking at. The surveying profession across sub-Saharan Africa, and the other one was diversity and inclusion. And I'm really pleased that some of the initiatives that were started back then have not only continued, but have made a difference as well. So we have come on so far and so quickly. And there are a lot of urban myths about women in the construction industry. they're urban myths. If you're a woman and you want to work in the construction industry, it's a fantastic industry. There is absolutely nothing stopping it.
0: Well, I mean, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I was listening to some news today about trying to get more diversity with non-exec directors, and, and obviously yeah, we just yeah. rattled off a number of positions you've got, and that sort of indicates how, how yeah. far that's got as well. So And, 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 and Louise, I, I talked to a lot of people, and they said you were instrumental in pushing well, the diversity. Right. So, so so well done on that. So now moving forward, um, I mean, that was, I'm really pleased you said that because uh, obviously research shows that during COVID, uh, two particular, um, or three really, sort of segments of the market have suffered, uh, ethnic minorities, uh, young people, um, yeah. and of course, women have suffered some of the roles yeah. where they've been asked to, you know, the man's taken the position and gone and women have to look after the children. So so it's great to hear that, despite COVID and some sort of tension over that
1: kind of issue. tension. And and there, and, and it's, it was the same in the recession, the last two recessions we had. The biggest sector, the biggest part of community that, that were, that were hit, hit the worst, if you like, were were women because at the end of the day when push comes to shove, you know there is there is always going to be a split of who does what Um, I'm really pleased that the research that has has looked back at the last year um, has shown that um, working from home is not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but it is interesting to see how um, the the sharing of domestic work has, has improved slightly. There are always going to be the extremes, but you know, with 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 you know uh, uh, partners working at home, they might be looking after kids at the same time and homeschooling. But there is becoming a far more realistic view of sharing work. And um, so there are some there are some there are always going to be some horror stories, but there is some positive trends that are emerging out of COVID. Uh, not least of which is the sort of the, the hybrid way of working from home and being able to adapt to using the technology that is clearly at our fingertips.
0: So talking about technology, talking about working from home, you've seen many cities now. You've just given us an an idea of sort of the global reach you've had. So let's look at cities now because that's obviously where a lot of built architecture and built environment is focused. So what does the city, the role of the city look like, bearing in what what you've just said, the role of digital, hybrid working, um, and, and, of course, transports played a role because people were not willing to get on public transport because they weren't sure what they were getting on. Um, let me just give you some give you some data. Um, uh, there's a report by Paul Meissen and I think Nick Bloom who've said in their survey people have said they'd prefer to work two days a week at home. Uh, Twitter have said to people you can work forever from home for life. Uh, Goldman Sachs have said no 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 you're all coming back in well listen we're getting we're having you hundred percent back so mixed messages there is well what do you think what do you think well, the role of cities and offices okay
1: um cities and offices will continue there will always be a need for centers for commerce for meeting and cities it, it means community and so, the the feel of let's call it either a city centre or a town centre or, or a retail centre will con- they will continue they will adapt and retail clearly has adapted you know there's no there's no getting away from it i i'm wait, you're waiting for an amazon delivery i'm waiting for deliveries all day it saves me having to get in my car drive into derby or drive down to birmingham and you know pick up or search for things i can go online i can i can click a button and they come like that it is inevitable does it mean the demise of the high street no it doesn't it will just be a change in the high street and those high streets, whether or not they're city centres or town centres or rural centres, will still become hubs for communities. And it will be more on the cultural, the leisure, the retail side, but they will still be uh, places where people uh, get together together. And where people get together, there will always be that opportunity to sell, to share, to shape, to laugh, to sing, to whatever. But, you know, you go back to when communities got together originally, you know, people were there because they wanted to exchange ideas or or exchange goods. That will continue. Um, There are lots of there are lots of regimes at the moment to try and how can I say this? Perpetuate the sort of the ladybird book of you know what a high street should look like. You know that sort of uh, wonderful uh, tinted picture of you know the perfect the perfect high street. Um, and I'm not convinced that that you know every high street will and should remain as it always has. They will become mixed uses they will have more retail uh, sorry more residential in there they will have some retail they'll have a lot more leisure and a lot more culture and that's no bad thing so i think you did mention offices i'm sorry the office the office market will also change You, you know you and i both can name so many large organizations that are reviewing their office footprints how many desks do they actually need Arcadis have just gone through it you know how many desk spaces do they actually need in one place at one time how much hot desking can take place this isn't new this has been taking place over the last five six seven years but um but equally um there is still investment in offices in 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 improved office uh, um, you know how offices feel, there will still be a need for offices in some of those central areas. Uh, and there's still, there's still investment and development coming through. I mean, there was one that hit the press yesterday uh, in Birmingham, you know, a, a stunning building. Investment is still coming through for offices. So, so the office isn't dead. The high street isn't dead. It will just be a slightly different model. That's all. Do you think we've seen the last
0: of anchor tenants? Do you think that those days have gone? I'm looking at Debenhams have gone down, Topshop have gone Lewis. down, John yeah. Lewis, um, Santander, 111 branches. Yeah, sixteen thousand shops have closed, according to the Centre of Retail Research, as the anchor tenant now gone forever.
1: I'm not going to pretend to be a retail expert. Um, I don't think it'll be one size fits all. I think that if a particular location um, can offer the right sort of market to those large anchor stores, then great. But for the likes of John Lewis to start questioning what is a, what is going to be the correct retail model going forward, you have to start thinking really is it actually going to be you know are these large mall type shopping centers the intos of this world mm. are they really going to be able to survive or are they actually going to be those hybrids of of some office some resi some culture some retail so i think it's just the shape of them that's going to the nature of them is going to change
0: um we know the internet of things we just spoke about Amazon a few minutes ago. We know the internet of things has changed life as we know it. It will continue yep. to change life as we go forward. We know uh, 5G is coming. Yep. So, so what role do you think digital will have on the sector itself, on the high street, the whole shebang when it comes around to architecture property? Where's, where's digital, digital going to take us?
1: It's going to take us a long way and very quickly, simply. The, the government, um, for once, is pretty switched on on this. Um, politics aside, the, uh, the white paper that came out last year, the planning white paper, uh, put digital um, very high on the agenda. And the government, although it's had its hands full over the last year, is putting its money where its mouth is. And only uh, last week came out with uh, tender proposals to be able to digitise the plan making process for the UK so they, they've actually advertised a, a series of, of potential pathfinders i.e you know people who are local authorities who are actually going to strike out and see how far digital improvements digital technology can improve the plan making process now um, I, I i i'm highlighting it because the impact of digital on the planning system is going to be huge, and the authorities um, that don't, and we're talking local planning authorities that don't embrace this or don't recognise it or work with partners to try and achieve it, will absolutely be left behind. Um, you very kindly mentioned the piece I did for um, the, the the magazine, and and in it I look at how far we've come. I mentioned John Noakes, and then I mentioned Tom Cruise. So you know, it's not all boring IT stuff, but. <laughs> You go back, you know, only a few years to technology when, when we began our careers and, and now look at it. Oh. Just imagine what's going to happen in the next five years and just take one, one tiny little part of, our, of our, working, our working environment planning. The impact of digital on how plans are made using real time data how buildings can be um, designed and illustrated through BIM, that's um, building information modeling, how uh, planning, how the administration of the planning system, I'm only picking on planning, I'm not talking about construction Mm. yet, but the administration of planning can be so much better, more accurate, quicker, using fewer people, but with more IT skills, you're going to be able to have far more adept and agile planning departments so you're not going to be wasting a huge amount of money on very old-fashioned admin so if you can make those changes to the planning system in parallel you've got huge changes coming through in construction with uh, modern methods of construction digital designing digital planning we can design and build new homes I'm not saying instantaneously because that would be very silly of me to say that. But modern methods of construction and modular build can considerably speed up the construction industry. So you've got a regime to get stuff out of the ground. you've got uh, digital means to be able to improve how we build and what we build. You've got improved technology behind procurement processes and and that together, creates a far better, quicker, more efficient development industry.
0: Now, let me, let me just throw a spanner in the works. I think that sounds fantastic. My experience of tech is mixed. So the Amazon system is fantastic. But often, when you're trying to get something complicated through, and you're met by a series of links that take you to another link and another link, but there's no voice at the end of it, and you're wanting feedback, and there's no way getting feed- You know what I'm saying? It just takes you from a loop-a-loop. And you think, crikey, why can't they just have someone at the end of a phone who will answer my question, and sometimes the forms are difficult, and it crashes, and you start to... So I think with planning, uh, you're absolutely right. We can't ignore what's happening in front of us. We have mm. to... Uh, I mean, one of the problems that's kept um, cities and, and, and many projects back is the... Old fashioned way of doing planning, so I think my only caveat would be 100% we adopt it, but there should be a fallback plan where somebody can pick up a phone. That's on, and, uh,
1: and, and, I, and I think that's human nature, and I think you're absolutely right. I think it will be a mix of good use of technology but with human interaction and you know you're not going to get somebody at the end of that line saying the computer says no you're going to have a real person because you know that with all the artificial intelligence in the world you still need people to run the system we've still got a democratic process in this country in terms of local government so you're still going to have a means of, of of individuals representing the community being able to make decisions in a democratic way. So, so you're going to have this mix, it's not all technology, mm. it's not going to be all the old-fashioned, you know, smoky rooms with, uh, you know, uh, a, whole, yeah. a whole, whole group of, of middle-aged yeah. white men making decisions, you know, it has moved on. And I think that we're in a really good place. We've got a government, forget the politics, we've got a government uh, Uh, and Westminster and departments, the the CLG, Communities and, and Local Government Department, who are committed to this. This, this, this embracing of technology. You've got Homes England who've embraced it so strongly. They are really moving forward with partnerships, with the use of digital technology, with city analytics. So it's looking at real-time information, like I mentioned before, to look at how plans can come forward for an area that are actually making sense and they're not 10 years out of date before they're adopted. So uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm uh, and there's an awful lot of skill out there as well of people who actually want to make it work.
0: I, I think, I think Louise, we can't ignore digital. We can't ignore the future. And we certainly yep. have got to look through the lens of the next generation for whom technology is part of their DNA. And and we've got a plan for the future. It's not, it's not what we want. It's what the next yep. generation is going to... And, and, and quite frankly, they're going to drag us through it, screaming and kicking. So I 100%, 100% agree with you. Um, do you see any blockers to this change? Because it's quite a dramatic change for people who've been in... I think it's
1: quite <laughs> archaic. It's quite the traditional. Oh, very, very, very. I mean, historically, you know, owning land was, you know, there's a certain group in the community that owned land, and that's why property has historically been a male-dominated area. You know, you go back, you know, hundreds, yeah, 100 years, it's only 100 years, but, you know, you can see why the property development world has such a, uh, you know, a old boys' network um, uh, matches. You know, it, 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 it has moved on. Let's 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 say that now. Um, so it's it, it, it is in many places seeped with with, a, with an old fashioned culture, um, and the biggest blocker is making people aware of the changes and that they're good changes, not bad changes. But then for them to be able to embrace the cultural change because it really is a cultural change. Um, You know, I can't speak about the legal profession or the accountancy profession, but I can speak about the property profession. And the changes are happening, and they are happening quickly. But the biggest blocker is culture, is is a is a uh, you know the 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 sort of the hidden. not ignorance because that sounds really rude, but in a way, it is ignorance of realizing that you know you do have to start looking at things with a, with, with a very different and more open mindset. You know, having having broader, um, a broader, more diverse views in the boardroom and at middle management and at, at you know at, at grassroots level makes a massive difference to how companies operate. And it's that cultural change which is the biggest blocker. If we can get through that quicker, it will really help. It will really help.
0: So, so let me ask a question. This is very particular to me. Um, because I'm the chair of the Wolverhampton Towns Fund. And, 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 we, and we hear about how public and private sector, when it comes to property loggerheads, always, mm. uh, we're talking about problems around housing, planning green belt uh, green belt brandfield so, so how can the public and the private sector work together to, you know, to get rid of these sort of i don't know because things that sort of stop making things happen how can, how
1: can we get private and public working together I think, I think it actually comes down, it comes down to a better degree of trust between public and private And an awareness of everyone is actually out there to do the same they've all got the same goal at the end of the day to actually create a better built environment for our communities and and i think one of the benefits of a a digital approach particularly in in planning and development is the transparency because you will then move away from those smoky deals behind you know closed doors and what actually happens, at, at, you know, out on those building sites will be transparent. People will understand why a certain development is coming through, and it's and it and it's of a certain nature with a certain land use, and it's a certain height. And the viability behind all of those schemes will be transparent. People will be able to understand, you know, why have we got this massive tower block here? Why haven't we got, you know, ten? semi-detached little houses because it's not viable to do 10 little semi-detached, we have to be able to build a tower block with a certain number of units to make it a viable proposition. And by doing that, they then can release funds for infrastructure in the area for, um, you know, for, for what was um, is at the moment, but they will change to section 106 um, obligations, i.e., giving back to the community, i.e., paying for some of the impact of development. And if that is transparent, then there is certainty not only for the developer, because they know what they're letting themselves in for when they go into a, a planning application and then, and, then, and then through all the way through to development and, and, and completion. But then the community also know what's happening because they can see it and it can be understood and it isn't all behind closed doors. Yeah, because we do.
0: I mean, the press is press is full of um, you know, there was this lobbying of this minister, <laughs> lobbying of that minister, and and listen, here's a text message sent from somebody to somebody, and can you believe it? After this dinner, dinner, this planning permission was given, and yes, uh, and, and the phone calls, and oh, anyway, and there's let's... a
1: lot of hype. Is there's a lot of hype? There's a lot of spin, and um, there's a lot of politics. There will always be politics, whether or not it's a local level or you know at yeah. the high table at Westminster. Um, but the more things are transparent and visible and challengeable, the better it will be for whatever size of the fence you sit on. So looking
0: forward, got a couple of questions for you. So looking forward, we've been discussing COVID. Um, so, so there's going to be a lot of changes. Yeah. Without a shadow of a doubt, you, you know, you've spoken about people, even at okay, just looking at desk space and mm-hmm. how many times you come in, the implications for the transport system. Are do they run as many buses? Do they run as many trains as they used to? Uh, the implications for those people who are in part of the supply chain, the little tea places, the coffee places, yep, yep. you know, all, all this kind of impact. But the, there must be positivity in terms of what new opportunities that might arise because really? of COVID. So, so how can we capitalise on some of those changes?
1: That, you know, them. Don't be frightened of them. the change. Models, retail models of 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 any whether you're selling services, whether you're selling cups of tea, whether you're selling, you know, you're a cobbler shop, and and, you know your 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 previous clientele were all those office workers. You've got to change your model to fit the circumstances. If the circumstances change and there are fewer people potentially in a city centre or a retail centre or town centre, then your model changes, and you there are. Lots and lots of examples of where retailers or service providers have changed over the last 12 months. They've gone out to serve the customer where they are. Look at the number of restaurants. Some restaurants are gonna go to the wall, we know that. Other restaurants have carried on and they have looked at delivery systems. They've looked at being able to take their food, still cook their food, not serve it in their restaurants, but take it out to their customers those are the restaurants that are going to survive. And they may well continue with that um, service as well as opening their restaurants, um, you know, in May or tis May, I think, when we can be opening restaurants. But the, the, best, the best businesses, the most successful businesses adapt. It, it's just simple, you know, they've adapted over, you know, the last God knows how many hundreds of years, they will continue to adapt. It's just that that adaption has to happen a lot quicker.
0: And you'll be interesting how the relationship between landlords and tenants yes. in cities will change yes. on how duration of leases will change yes. and where the model of rather than a fixed cost might be linked to turnover. And there's all kinds of
1: different thinking going on now. <laughs> I haven't even started on the property side and you know the the various tenancy agreements and all the rest of it and if there's ever an archaic system my goodness it's that and you're right but you know and 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 the whole of that relationship landlord and tenant relationship clearly is going to have to change because landlords will miss out because they won't get any tenants so they have to adapt so there's there's all sorts of different parts of this uh, this uh, built environment sector which is um, it's
0: going to have to continue to move very, very quickly. So now we've referred that it's very
1: intrinsic
0: um, that government plays a role. Um, government's always played a role locally in terms of the way they give planning permission. Um, government regionally, we have, we've learned to start to think about regionally. You talked about the Greater Birmingham Lep. We're talking about the Midlands engine, you how it tends to see a much wider patch. But of course nationally what they decide in Whitehall makes a difference. Yes, um, yeah. Yeah, some might argue well it's not fair they haven't taken local regional variations but, but I think there needs to be some kind of understanding how the UK looks like. So if you had a magic wand, uh, what would you like the government to do right now for the property and the, and the sort of the, and the marketing and, and the way they look at place yeah. as an yeah. entity? So so it's a magic wand. It's, you know, maybe now's the right time to look at this because everything's in a flux and maybe now's the time to look at everything that is possible.
1: It's a really good question because if you'd have asked me a week ago... Uh, My answer would have been for the government to stick to their guns over the planning white paper that came out a year ago, stick to their guns over digital and the amount of emphasis that they're putting into modern methods of construction and the funding behind all of that. Um, What has has really got my goat over the last few days is the decision, I think, um, that's come out of government central government down to local government to say you don't need to continue with all the digital meetings how many forgive me but you know <laughs> that's ludicrous if there's been ever an improvement in in being able to use the technology it's with digital and virtual meetings particularly for local government and i think that the decision to not emphasize to continue that is just appalling. So I would like government to stick to its guns over the white paper and the changes to the planning system, but not use the planning system and, and as, as the sort of the panacea to, oh, this will solve everybody's problems in property, because it pretty well won't. It's only one element of the, the sector, because What we also need to do is make sure we we look again at the the, the land supply chain, looking at strategic land, how it is played. We need to look at procurement of services, how to use digital and BIM and all of the good stuff that's coming out of the technological wizardry that we've got at the moment to improve the procurement processes. And to look at modern methods of construction and not be frightened of them. There are so many facets of the property world which all can come together. Now is a very good time to do it. And government need to stick to their guns, not fall backwards, not say we haven't got enough time to sort out the the rules and regulations of that. You know, we've come so far through COVID We've learned so much. We've had to move very quickly. Let's not go backwards. Let's use the positives that have come out of the last year.
0: If you don't mind, let me just probe a couple of those areas, if you don't mind. Uh, just, just remind for those who may not know, what do you mean by modern methods of construction?
1: Modular. It means building um, It means building units, not necessarily in situ, but, but making the bits of a building in a factory. Quickly, efficiently, sustainably, and then bringing them to a site and putting them together.
0: I'm aware of it because i a board member of the Green Square Court. It's
1: You can put the infrastructure in, and it also means looking at sustainable infrastructure, looking at you know how we get to these locations. Um, we, we, you know it's not necessarily by car, it can be by electric vehicle in any event, it's looking at some of the improved rail and uh, and and um, rail links into areas. So that infrastructure, the sustainable drainage systems, can all go into a site, so it's serviced. And then the units themselves are fabricated in a factory. Um, it's quicker, it's cheaper, it's more sustainable uh, and they are then brought to a site and put together.
0: Yeah as I was saying Louise, I, I sit on the Green Square Accord and we look at MMC all the time, uh, So, but, but not everybody understands that. Now. No. Final comment on, on procurement then, um, particularly around construction, there's always been a complaint or a moan uh whether justifiable or not the smes tend to lose out yeah uh it all you know councils are risk averse uh, what's, what's the word you never you've never lost your job by giving work to ibm so, uh, something like that i've heard <laughs> i, I can, can't remember the phrase but you know what i mean that civil servant will never lose his job if he yeah. hands the work to an ibm i mean we're getting close to finishing
1: What are your views on that? Is that justified? We have to spread it. We have to spread it around. If we are going to benefit from what COVID has done to us, we're going to be looking at the impact of people losing their jobs and new startups. We are going to have a huge number of new SMEs. And I do think I think there is across the political divide, there is support for um, additional, There is encouragement for more support for SMEs. Um, Homes England, particularly on the housing front, acknowledge this, and it's in their top ten. Of you know, we really don't want to just be playing with the big, the big companies uh, all the time. We want to be able to make sure that we've got the middle and smaller sized companies able to play in the construction and property game. So there is a very strong, not only a push, not only a policy towards it, not only sort of like nice words, but people are actually doing it. So I think we will see a change over the next 12, 18 months where the SMEs have a better chance of getting in and playing because we're not just going to be talking about the big players, the top five house builders. It's going to be spread out. And there's also going to be the opportunity for, for better partnerships as well, for some of those bigger players to partner with some of the smaller players. And that will curry favour. Uh, and I, what I, one of the things I mentioned right at the very beginning is, is the, the social value of how we build, uh, not only what we build, but how we build it and the added benefits of of, of, uh, what we do. That social value, environmental and social governance, the ESG of how people operate, how companies operate, means that all those very, very large companies are going to see benefits of partnering with smaller companies as well. So they spread the love. That's the easiest way of looking at it. And, and Louise, ESG? Quick quick. question. Environmental social governance. It's, if, if anybody's following the markets, you'll, you'll, you'll be very much aware of this, where you've got um, uh, shareholders who now don't just look at the bottom line, they look at how a company's got to their bottom line. They look at how they operate. How um, diverse, how inclusive are they? They look at the social value, the added benefit of what that particular company is doing. All that is wrapped up in something called environmental social governance. And it's becoming very important, which is a very, very... Um, positive move in my eyes for the markets for the investment markets to acknowledge that money's important of course it's always going to be important but it's how you get to that money and how you operate which is also increasingly important.
0: Uh, Louise has been fascinating. 40 minutes are there all about already. Um, just a, just a quick cap and and, and feel free if, if I've got this wrong um, the high street will change but for the positive. Uh, Digital is going to make a big difference in yes. planning permission and yeah. and how we now and how we put our plans through and how government government reacts. Uh, there will be blockers and they're normally short, but they always have been, and hopefully with the new generation that will come through. Uh, you mentioned uh, you know we now need to embrace not just planning but how we construct homes. You talked about MMC, the modern, the modern way of construction. Yeah. Uh, you've talked about how um, private and public sector now need to work together. Very much so. Uh, you've, you've talked about the role of SMEs now and the kind of roles they will play, and of course, it's all part of the levelling up agenda. You know, we we need to build houses all around the country, not just to have hotspots where we do tend to see hotspots. So, so I think um, you know your profession has got a big role to play in that, in making sure that happens. I think during your illustrious career you've seen many changes, particularly around diversity and inclusion and, and in your in your eyes you know I'm not going to disagree with you. it's looking very positive. Um, you know you've just talked about the stock market and how investors are now yeah. looking at investments differently. They're looking at the environment, the social, the way they've been governed. So a lot of change yeah. but a lot of positive change I think so. And, and, and I think Louise, if we've got people around you, Like you in the profession, I think we're going to hit all these boxes and I'm going to let you go and I'm going to go because I suspect my Amazon parcel is going to arrive any second now. And I've been so grateful. I did hear just for a second somebody drive past with their music on loud and I could hear the hip hop and I thought, oh, crikey, this this is going to completely take. Thankfully, they drove quite quickly. So, anyway, listen, thank you very much for your input. It's been really. Been brilliant. <laughs> I look forward to obviously uh, reading some great more articles in the Business Influencer, and you never know, we might even catch each other at a future Signature Awards. <laughs> Thank you very much, Louise. Thanks Thank very, you much. very much indeed. Thank you, Bye bye. <laughs>